Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is attorney Fern Froland. Fern concentrates on family law. She focuses on complex matrimonial law matters, including divorce, custody, child support, modification, asset division, business valuation, and grandparent visitation cases. She's frequently appointed a special master, is an American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers trained arbitrator and family law mediator, and a court trained conciliator. Today, Fern and I will discuss how to divorce without court. Fern, thanks for joining me this morning. So the first question would be, is there such a thing as an out-of-court divorce? Divorce is a legal status. It's a, actually an implied contract between two willing parties and a state that makes the rules for marriage and the rules for divorce. And in exchange for the status that the state confers on people when it calls them married, Joint tax returns is one that people think of. Inheritance rights is another one that people think of. The state says, well, you can't get out of this implied contract unless we approve the way in which you're going to organize your post-marriage life. So in that sense, you always need a court. You need someone to approve the agreement. That can be literally a a five-minute review of your divorce arrangements by a court that finds that they're fair and reasonable. And that, that plus filing the papers, the statistical papers that you have to file, um, that get the divorce going and record the end of your marriage for legal purposes, needs, that's the only thing that needs government involvement. The rest you can do all by yourselves. And for most people, the more you do on your own and the less you involve a court, the more comfortable you're going to be with the divorce agreement when it's finished. Well, that's a good segue, Fern. There's a term called ADR or an abbreviation for alternative dispute resolution. And that does, I believe, play a role in divorces occasionally. What is ADR and uh, how can it be applied to divorces? In order to get divorced, you need to resolve the terms of your divorce. You need to decide who's getting which property and how are the children going to be cared for and how are the children going to be supported and how are each of the spouses going to be supported post-divorce. All of that can be done by agreement and to the extent you can do it by agreement, you have more control and you have something that you know you can live with, and you have something that's designed by the people who actually are going to have to live with it in the future, as opposed to a court that only gives you however much time the court has to decide the issues that you can't resolve by agreement. Although for many people that's not ever in dispute, we assume that because people have separate interests, we call it a dispute. And once you call it a dispute, then you have to resolve the dispute. An alternative just means an alternative to court. So it's a way of resolving your dispute that doesn't involve the judicial process. There are lots of kinds of alternative dispute resolution and different matches for different people. What types are there? The most common that people think of is mediation. And that's 
involves a neutral, one neutral person sitting with the two parties or with the parties and their lawyers. And that person helps you think of ways to resolve your dispute. The second most common probably is negotiation. And that can be the two parties negotiating back and forth without the help of a neutral, just by themselves at the kitchen table or increasingly by text or email. It can also involve two parties having lawyers and the lawyers being on the telephone. It can involve all four parties sitting in a room together in divorce. We call that a four-way conference. But one way or other or another, without the help of a neutral person, it's negotiated. A third kind that we have in Massachusetts, which is not typical, is called conciliation. And conciliation is like mediation, but it's more directive. The conciliator takes a more active role than a mediator, not just helping you think of ideas, but directing you to which ideas might be more fair or what the consequences are and helping you think of the long-term consequences of a short-term decision. And finally, we have arbitration, which is, is really just another word for private judging. You hire an arbitrator instead of being assigned a judge by the court, and the parties agree to abide by the arbitrator's decision. People can use all of those or a mix of those or none of them. And then in, in many states, we have another kind, which is collaborative law that is all by itself something different. Collaborative law is two parties are getting divorced. It's used mainly in divorce, of, and it started in divorce as a, as a mechanism for alternative dispute resolution in um, divorce, but it's now used for some other kinds of disputes, and both parties have lawyers. They have to have lawyers, and the lawyers and the parties enter into a four-way contract in which they agree to continue negotiating no matter how long it takes. The penalty for stopping negotiations is that both lawyers have to resign. So the parties literally have to start all over again. In effect, the parties are giving up their right to involve a court in any aspect of deciding the terms of their divorce. The idea was when it started that lawyers might have a secondary gain from dragging a case out, from making it take a long time because lawyers get paid by the hour. And in this way, the lawyers would know that if one party said, that's it, I'm out of the room, I can't negotiate anymore, I'm filing my complaint, I'm going to court, that the lawyers had to give up the case altogether. And so it was meant to disincentivize the lawyers from going to court. That's the purpose. It's very popular in New England and especially in Massachusetts. Um, People like the word collaborative. My own view is that good lawyers are always collaborative and a contract is probably not required in order for lawyers to do everything they possibly can to resolve the dispute out of court. Now, we've spent some time talking about the different types of alternative dispute resolutions. Here's the money question, so to speak. Which type do you recommend? I think it's different for different people. I think that in order to mediate effectively without, first of all, I love mediation. I think mediation is fabulous and it usually works. It has the following benefits. It's entirely voluntary. 
nobody can make you decide anything that, or agree to anything that you don't want to agree to. It also has an ownership sense of when you're mediating that everybody's voice is heard in the room. It's people don't have to sit and let their lawyers talk for them or have a judge talk to them. And so I think there's a, a real feeling of fairness and competence and success when you get to a mediated agreement. I guess that means I like mediation best. It doesn't work for everyone. For many people, they just need a decision maker. They just need someone to say whether, you know, um, it's an arbitrator or a court. It's an, it's enough. You're not going to get the thing that you want most. But I think good, good mediation with um, good advice for the parties is, is really an excellent form of dispute resolution. Among all the different types of alternative dispute resolutions, are there differences in cost? Not per se. It depends on the family and what needs to be decided. Certainly, it's less expensive for two people to share the cost of one mediator to reach agreement and write it down and have their document than it is for two people each to pay a lawyer to send a document back and forth. But I start with the premise that both people need lawyers anyway because they need to know what their rights are and they need to know what they're giving up when they enter into an agreement. And a really true neutral mediator can't coach you in the sense of saying, are you sure you want to do that? Because that's not neutral anymore. As soon as you point your finger at at a litigant or a a spouse and say, are you sure? You're, You're taking a side. And... So since the mediator has to be completely neutral in order to effectively and ethically do the mediation job, I think people need lawyers. Now, if both people are paying lawyers and you're paying a mediator, it can make mediation actually more expensive than just having the lawyers negotiate. It's really case by case. And I think it's a little unfortunate that a lot of people choose mediation, not because they understand what mediation is, but because they think it's going to be less expensive. And then they're either surprised or they haven't fully utilized the professional advice that they should have in order to get a complicated divorce. If the divorce is very simple, by you know, no children, no property, two-year marriage, we, we're good roommates, but we're not good spouses, then the least expensive is negotiation at the kitchen table, you know? Um, and you don't need to involve anyone at all. Hmm. So, another money question. What if alternative dispute resolution, or ADR, does not work? By definition, because mediation and negotiation are voluntary, and it takes two people to reach an agreement, you can always go to court. You can always walk away from the table with those two options and say, that's it, you know, I I need a judge to help me make you see the light, usually. <laughs> usually the judge wants more. Right. I need the judge to, to tell you you're wrong, and people are often surprised that it doesn't come out that way. <laughs> but um, So that's, that's one possibility. Um, another possibility is that people stick at it and stick at it and spend a lot of money, and it doesn't work, and finally are disappointed to not come to a conclusion. Uh, I think we talked about collaborative law. If it's collaborative law the lawyers have to be terminated and any experts that they've engaged also have to be terminated. So I think that frequently 
most of the time it does work if people are committed to it. But frequently it works for five out of six issues, and we've resolved everything except Grandma's Silver. And okay, on that one, Grandma's Silver, that's not such a big thing. No one's going to live or die by how it comes out. We can take that to a judge. That's fine. Judge will be pretty mad if you come in fighting about Grandma's Silver. (laughs) (laughs) We really appreciate your taking the time out of your busy schedule today to appear with us. How can folks contact you if they have concerns or questions? Best way is through our website, myrickoconnell.com. Our guest has been family law attorney Fern Froland from Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. On behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Fern Froland, thanks for joining us. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court.